Good morning. This morning we're going to uh, start a, a series, a fairly short series from Philemon, Paul's letter to Philemon. Some of you look like you've never heard of that letter. It, it is a, it's, it's a pretty short one. And you might have trouble finding it. It's between Titus and Hebrews. Hebrews is a pretty big book, so if you stumble onto Hebrews, then just go left, and you'll come to Philemon, but go slow or you might pass it. I was going to uh, initially talk about the first seven verses, but I've decided to do that next week, and I'd like to just talk about a little bit about the situation because uh, I imagine... And we don't know much from this letter. And by the way, this is really, the Bible's in, incredible. The New Testament is credible, incredible. Every, every contribution is incredible. This particular letter, uh, already I've worn out the meaning of incredible, but <laughs> this uh, particular letter is very significant because I only know of, of one other extant that is surviving in existence letters in which someone intervenes on behalf of a slave with the slave's master. And that's exactly what Paul does here. And so it's, it's also interesting just from a historical standpoint, it's an artifact to something that we just don't have anything on this order of. And I think that's largely because of the gospel. That, I mean, largely, it's because of the gospel. It's because of Jesus Christ. There, you wouldn't intervene for a slave. You wouldn't step in between a slave and his master. You wouldn't even think about it because a slave is the master's property. What do you get out of my business? I imagine, although the letter doesn't tell us a lot, it, at times, in fact, I think Paul is, is very careful. And we'll talk more about those sort of things and the nature of slavery in the Roman Empire. But he's very careful, and as a result, he is trying to maneuver between a number of tensions some of them culture, having to do with status in life. He's trying to get the job done in an area in which you don't normally meddle, if ever. And because there's not a lot of detail, I think it is because of the delicacy of the, of the situation. So I can't tell you some things I would like to tell you. But I, I'm just going to kind of imagine a couple of very likely details. For example, Philemon is sitting in the afternoon. It's the end of the workday. And a slave comes to him and says, there's someone approaching. 
He takes a sip of his refreshment. We don't know if Philemon owned lands of great measure. He may have. Maybe he had livestock. And so the end of the day was the end of managing those who tended his livestock or stock. Or maybe it was agriculture of some time. We don't know if he wasn't a merchant of some kind. We know that he lived in the Lycus Valley because the church to which he was a significant member, prominent enough in society, in his church, to host the community of believers in his house. And the letter to Colossians mentions the subject of this letter, this letter to Philemon in chapter 4, verse 9. There are a lot of connections because the Lycus Valley held several churches, all that sprung up because of the ministry of Paul when he was in Ephesus for some two years. And the word, the gospel spread, had an effect on these places. And Colossae was where Philemon lived, the city of Colossae. We have a letter to the church of, of Colossians, the Colossians. And in my... reasonable imagination, whether it was in the morning or in the afternoon or even in early evening, this person that was approaching was someone they had not seen in a while. It was a slave of Philemon's. We think that he had run away. And he wasn't supposed to run away. Runaway slaves were a problem, and they were handled roughly. They were considered criminals. In fact, some slaves that we know of because we have some artifacts, some from Pompeii, even in the late first century, they actually had collars with tags on them. And the tag would say, if you've caught me, I'm a runaway. Return me to my owner, so-and-so, in the city of such-and-such, and I'll give you a gold coin, or you will be properly rewarded. Can you imagine? And this person returning has a letter in his hand. And this letter is from the Apostle Paul. And all of this is news to Philemon. This letter is going to reveal to Philemon something of, of where Onesimus, his slave, has been. Because in some providential way, the words of Paul himself, that is, and that providential isn't a word that we use every day, but we sometimes say, wow, that was some kind of like crazy coincidence. And we think the stars have aligned. Or just, you know, oh my goodness, that is so weird, the way everything kind of came together. Or, wow, we've been friends for 10 years, and you're my half-sister. <laughs> and I didn't even know it. How did this happen? 
Well, sometimes God is at work in the lives of people and things come together in a way and it turns out that Onesimus, this runaway slave that we presume has run away, found his way to Paul, received Jesus Christ. And because Paul, if he was in Rome, as we traditionally tend to think, then he was under house arrest and he was able to, in some ways, serve Paul, and Paul was able to minister to him. And we imagine that Onesimus began his Christian life under the discipling hand of, of Paul. And probably at some point, the issue of his past, how he got there, who he really was, was addressed by Paul, and Paul said, you know, Onesimus, you get life in one way will not go on unless you go back. And he tells Philemon something very, very profound, and that's what I want us to look at this morning. And it begins with a word, and it's the 16th verse. There's no chapters, just verses. Uketi, that's a Greek word. I spelled it in English at the top because the Greek looks just like that. No longer, and there is the Greek. You can see you can almost read that Greek word, right? Uketi. No longer as a slave, says Paul to Philemon. Now just let that sink in for a moment. Onesimus has brought this letter who knows how he's been handled initially? Philemon is a good man, a good Christian. Read the whole letter this week. Read it every week while we're in Philemon. He's a man of love. He's a man of faith. He's a man of spiritual influence. But as he reads this letter, I have a suspicion. It's a hunch. I have to admit, I can't prove it. But I think he's experiencing a crisis of conscience that's created by a new wave of reality, a wave that is created by a tsunami when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. Everything has changed. Everything is different. Even Philemon is different. And the waves keep on rolling as he has to look at real life, his life, old ways in new ways. Right under his nose, God has done something that I suspect he's not really prepared for. Not just here in his head, but in his heart. And even there, in terms of his society, how he's perceived, and the implications that this will have on his household, even his church, and the way this church functions. No longer a slave, but more than a slave. And then those powerful words, a beloved brother, a beloved brother, both in the flesh and in the Lord. That covers it all. 
In other words, Philemon, no matter how you look at it, in the Lord, yes, but even in the flesh, even in the flesh. Uketi. It's an adverb, a simple adverb. It's a part of speech. You can translate it, no more, no more a slave. You can translate it, no longer, no longer a slave. No further a slave. You can even translate it, not now a slave. You and I can take exception. We can argue the grammar. We can go back into the heredity and the history of the word. We can break it apart. The reality of what that word conveys is not rooted in grammar. It's not rooted in Greek. It's rooted in what God has done in Jesus Christ. That's the power of no longer. It'll never have its power in your life or in mine unless you recognize what God has done in Jesus Christ. And in that sense, it's kind of a dynamic relationship because, yes, for me, years ago, it dawned on me what God had done for me in Jesus Christ. And it's continuing to dawn just like the sun every morning. In fresh and new ways, I'm growing up into the reality of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And it's pounding my life with the love of God, with the power of His forgiveness, with the strength of the Holy Spirit which He's poured out on my life. Wave after wave after wave as I grasp the truth of what God has done in His death and his resurrection, and how it sent ripples in every direction through history. It has changed the outcome of history. And it's dawning on Philemon in a very new way. What had changed? Hearts. Paul's heart. Paul's heart. Philemon's, his heart. And now Onesimus. But slavery had not changed. Rome had not changed. The world had not changed. And yet everything had changed. The truth and faith in that truth. Paul, no doubt, told Onesimus much about what had changed. I'll bet he said things to Onesimus 
that he had written to the Galatians when he told them that when the fullness of time had come. Think about that, the fullness of time. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, adoption as children. And because we are the children of God, he sent his spirit the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now just imagine how that must have struck the heart of Onesimus. You know, one of the things about slaves, and it's, it's been a subject of great interest as I've, as I've read widely and studied deeply about the Greco and then the Roman world. Uh, if I had not been called to a pastor, I would never have had any interest in any of this, but had I had that interest, I would have loved to have been a classicist. It's just fascinating to me. But one thing you learn as you deepen an appreciation for the lives and the impact of being slaves, either if you're born a slave or if you're created a slave by being conquered, and Rome was a conquering power. They conquered the whole world, the known world. When, when, when in the New Testament it talks about the, the world, most people would think of the Roman world because that was just about everything, everything that mattered. And a big part of it was slave. But when you're a slave, you, you don't have parents. If you're born of parents, you're often ripped from your parents. You're fortunate if, if, you're, if, if your family belongs to, as slaves, of another family and are kept together as a family and are not sold apart. You have no heritage. You have no family name. The owner, his name, becomes your name. And that becomes who you are. If you, if you scrimp and you save and you squirrel away a little money here and there for a very long time, you may hope to purchase your freedom to earn and gain liberation. Where you, your thoughts can be your own and, and you can speak your mind, something a slave cannot do, and have a will of your own. If, if you were to scrimp that money together and if you were to be able to purchase yourself because you see you have no right of purchase unless your master agrees to it and gives you manumission that is legal freedom you have no inheritance you have no name you have no family you have no future you have no citizenship 
Talk about that idea of a person without a country. Do you know how home, how important home is to you? Sometimes we take it for granted. We love being a part of that wide, big world. Boy, we just love to imagine, you know, being here and there. And we go there through our smartphones and television. And we just, you know, we're enamored with everything that's going on out there. All the other people, the beautiful people, the wonderful things of the world. And we have that luxury where we can just travel in our hearts and minds and imagine being totally, you know, just tossing free upon the world because we have a home, because we have roots, because we have a name, we have a family. Onesimus had that not. And yet Paul says, you do now in the Lord. You're no longer a slave. You're a son. You have family. In fact, in verse 7 of Galatians chapter 4, he says, Uketi, no more, no longer, no further, and not now are you a slave, but a son. You are a son, and if a son, then an heir, an heir. You have an inheritance. You have a future. You have a security. Through God, you, Onesimus, are a somebody and no longer a nobody. You're a person and no longer a non-person. You're a son and no longer just a thing. In fact, in, in Aristotle's politics, when he talked about political philosophy, he dealt with the slave. Now, that was in Greece, but he dealt with the subject of the slave and called a slave a living tool. A living tool. They were a piece of property just like the things in your house that you feel you couldn't do a ref without a, f a refrigerator or a television or a telephone. What would you do without your smartphone? Well, you know what? The nearest thing to a smartphone in the world of antiquity was a slave. Many of them were educated. Many of them were doctors and of different responsibility. It didn't always get them ahead financially, obviously, but they were valued in that sense, but they were still property. And Paul says, that's all changed. You're no longer without parentage, no longer without inheritance. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says, you are uketi, uketi, excuse me, no more, no longer, no further, and not now, strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members, look at this, of the household of God. Paul probably reminded Onesimus, this isn't something you can purchase, Onesimus. As he said in, to the Romans in chapter 11, verse 6, it is by grace, Onesimus, it's an act of favor. All you can do is be grateful. 
you can't repay, you can't purchase. It's by grace and no more, no longer, no further, and not now on the basis of works, on the basis of merits, on the basis of achievement, on the basis of accomplishment. Otherwise, Paul says, grace would no more, no longer, no further, and not now. Uketi be grace. The same word he uses in verse 16. And Paul was likely to tell Onesimus about reconciliation. Reconciliation. As Onesimus made his way to Philemon, and Philemon saw him approaching, and with this letter, it was all about reconciliation. In fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, would he write this kind of stuff if it wasn't at the heart of the gospel? Absolutely not. He says, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Aren't there some exceptions? <laughs> you know, isn't there a footnote? Isn't there a catch there someone, somewhere? We regard no one according to the flesh. And then he includes Jesus. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no more no longer, no further, and not now. That's because he's risen. That's because he has done something that has sent shock through history in both directions. And the world will never be the same because God will, in the end, control the outcome of history with the return of Jesus Christ. And we are living in that hope. And we are living in the faith of the resurrection and what God has done in Christ. And that's why these words, these parts of speech, these elements of language have power because they are representing to us a great truth that has changed our lives. Therefore, he says and continues, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word, the message, the task, the responsibility of reconciliation. We have been reconciled. How can we then not be agents of reconciliation? This was the appeal to Onesimus. Onesimus, you've got to go back. Reconciliation. This was the appeal to Philemon. You've got to see this man no longer as a slave, now a beloved brother. A beloved brother. This is also an appeal to us. 
It's a new reality, a truth that must invade and displace the prevailing business plan of the world. Paul said, do not be conformed. You know, the power of that verse in Romans 12, too, in part is because Paul wrote a letter. It was a way of representing himself, being present in advance of his actual arrival. And he spent 12 chapters, or what we measure as 12 chapters of that letter, telling him what he was all about. Because what he was all about was what the gospel is all about. In other words, Paul could say, this is my gospel because this is the reality that actually pulses through my life. I could not breathe, I could not see, I could not hear without the gospel, and this is the gospel. Twelve chapters. After laying that out and its implications built on what God has done in Jesus Christ, he then goes on to some practical implications, and he starts chapter 12 with the words, therefore. And in the second verse he says, don't be conformed Don't be molded. Don't be fashioned by this world. But rather, in contrast, be transformed. Be changed. Be changed. How? You know, I want to be changed. Don't you want to be changed? By the renewing of your mind. Are you renewing your mind? How are you renewing your mind? What is filling your mind? What is constantly on your mind? What is influencing your mind? Well, I can tell you what was true of my life and continues to be something that knocks on the door of my life every day. And that is the way I was brought up, what my parents told me, what they exhibited in my life, what they showed me. That was very powerful. That I carried that with me in life. And then when I went to school, what friends said and what teachers said, what I saw on television, you know, those people that I admired, athletes and superheroes. And then as you go on, you get a higher education. You maybe go on to college or do an apprenticeship. You learn the practicals. You learn through experience, and you become very, very settled in your opinions and your view of things. But who put it there? Where did it come from? It came from this horizontal world in which we live and move and have our being. And into this comes Jesus Christ with a message that doesn't come from the world but comes through Jesus who came from above, who became incarnate for a great purpose. And it is, a, it is called news. News because it's all new. And it's not bad news, it's good news, and we call it the gospel. And it's life-changing, and it comes from above. It verifies this very important fact from the Old Testament, that God cares about you. You who are Gentiles, you who are aliens and strangers. You who are on the outside and not the 
chosen people of God in the Old Testament. God forgives your sins in Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, God has poured out His Holy Spirit, something that is ours because of Jesus' death and resurrection, His exaltation to the right hand of the Father, the promise of the Father entrusted to Jesus. He poured out His Spirit. The very nature and power of God into our lives. These are the kinds of life-changing things that Paul and the other writers of the New Testament are talking about. And if that's not getting into your head, there's not going to be the renewal. You'll always find justification. I'll always find justification. We'll always find justification in the world around us, in our closest friends, those things our parents, or those to whom we look to as authorities, or the latest article that we read, And if the gospel gets in at all, we'll fit it in to our established framework. It was in the early 70s that a puzzle, which had been around, became representative of a new psychological study that was put together by J.P. Guilford. Have you ever seen this little... uh, the, the requirements are you're to connect the dots, but you can only do it in four lines, and you can never lift your pencil from the page. Now, I just want to be up front right from the beginning that I failed this when I first did it. And you know why I failed it? Because I didn't think outside the box. Do you see the implied box represented by the dots on the page? In fact, the expression for creativity, think outside the box. You know, expand your mind. Think differently. Look beyond your kind of tired or settled or, you know, that all came from this because, you see, you did have to think outside the box. You had to start outside the box. You had to go outside the box to complete the puzzle. And we have to keep doing that in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, from Monday to Sunday, every week, is prompting us, if we're still hearing, sensitive to its impulse, to do it His way and not the old way, the worn way, the tried and true way. See, that's what Philemon was being challenged to do. Nobody, nobody would have come to Philemon and said, Philemon, you know, uh, we think that slaves... The basis of what Paul was saying to him was based on the reality of Jesus Christ. This is a spoof. There's a, a website called Babylon B. And they do some spoof articles, poking fun at things. And this is, a, this is probably one of their staff posing for the picture, but he's supposed to be a blogger. And he says, I will gladly believe in God if you'll just show me evidence his opinions are identical to mine. 
And it just reminded me that sometimes, you know, we have a filter based on our own life and experience by which we, we receive or we reject or we mold into what we feel is right. And I'm trying to suggest to you this morning that we, like a Philemon, are going to be presented with things that we have to look at entirely in fresh ways and not just shut down because it pulls us from our comfort zone or calls us to step outside ourselves and do something novel, not based on our experience or what we're used to doing or what our crowd will support and approve, or even our church or maybe the pastor, but in our world. In our sphere of influence, God may be saying, would you take a new tack? That person that you have written off, that you've given up on, who sins, you know, okay, don't use sins. They irritate you. They have flaws. They do things that you find unacceptable. They do things that you would never do and you don't approve of. Or they do things that your friends and those that you do approve of would not approve of. And so for such things, that person is a slave to you. That's that's a person who's a non-citizen, not well-born like you. You see what I'm trying to get at? And Jesus says, what? What? What about me? What about new life? What about transgressions that have been forgiven because God was in me for the purpose of reconciling you to me. And in the other eyes of others, you had no status. You had no noble birth. But in my eyes, I see you differently. You have value. You have worth and importance. You count. You're worth my son. And if you can believe it, everything is new. Everything is possible. No longer, no more, no further, not now, because of Jesus Christ. That's the message of Philemon. And the issue is, will Philemon be able to respond? What will hold him back if not? Will it be the generations of slavery in his family, sanctioned in the Roman world, customary in all of his dealings, running his business, implications for his household? There are so many ways we can think of why I shouldn't and why everyone would agree with me and support me. And yet ultimately it comes down to one person, the person who's being touched by the Lord through the truth of His Word, who's being renewed in mind and heart 
by the truth and the reality of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And that reality taking root and bearing fruit in your life and in mine. This Bible is a catalog of people who made a difference. They are not, these stories of a difference are not representative of all the people in the world. They're representative of people who heard the call of God. That's faith. And that's what you and I are called to each and every day in our own households, in our own marriages, in our own relationships, in our own friendships, to be reconcilers. How do you talk to people? How do you talk about people? What is your character and what is your reputation? What about the people that are closest to you or the people that you no longer will let close because you've given up or let go or lost sight of reconciliation and new life, new possibilities, new beginnings in Jesus Christ? No longer, no longer brings new beginnings, possibilities. It changes how we see ourselves. You are the object of this, but because you are, you are also an agent of it. How you see others and how you see our gospel. You know what's very profound is in Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. That was a death that was reserved for slaves. It was a slave's death. And Paul said, it is no longer, it is no more, it is no further, it is not now I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now lived in the flesh, I live in the power and the life of Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me? As you read Philemon, think about your role as a Paul in your life, your home, your work. Think of an Onesimus in your life. Think of a Philemon in your life. Let God's word speak to you. It is a truth that is really powerful because of who we are and who we have in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the truth that is true in Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name with praise of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. We'll be here if you need to pray, would like to pray, if God's spoken to you or about someone else, we invite you to come.